right, well, Merry Christmas. I want to just uh, say hello to everybody gathering in all of our physical locations, as well as those of you joining us online. We're so glad to uh, have you with us. And uh, if you uh, are just now uh, joining us, uh, I realize that, uh, you know, it's, it's Christmas. And so maybe you're here with family members. Uh, maybe you're watching with uh, your in-laws right now. Uh, and maybe you haven't been with us over the last several weeks. We've actually been in a series of messages uh, called Anxious Christmas. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at the very first Christmas story as a guy named Luke records it in the New Testament. And we've just been uh, examining some of the people that would have been directly involved with that first Christmas story. In particular, we've looked at the Old Testament prophecies or promises and the people that were all involved in that. We've, we've looked at Mary and Joseph and just one of the things that we pointed out is that on that first Christmas, their feeling of anxiety would have been at an elevated level. And I think that that's something that um, all of us, regardless of, of who you are or how you're wired, can relate to, especially this year. I mean, every year around the holidays, uh, it seems that anxiety, loneliness, and depression, it, it always goes up. But then you put a year like 2020 on top of that, and it's just through the roof. And so we've been looking at what God was doing then to try to help make sense of what he is doing now. And the group of people that I want to look at in the Christmas story with you tonight, it's a group of people that we normally take for granted. Like uh, we assume that they were in the story um, for because, you know, it just kind of looks good. It's like in the nativity. We've never really questioned it. But what I want to do is question it. Tonight, like, I want to really ask the question, like, why were they there? Because as we talk about this group of people, they, they would have been the kind of people that, that they would have been like, I, I don't really know that I deserve um, to be a part of this story. Like, I don't really know that I have a voice. I don't really know that I've done anything to be on the platform with Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I, I've certainly felt that way several times in my life. There have been moments when I've just felt like I'm in over my head, moments when I felt like I was unworthy and unqualified, like I shouldn't be in the position that I'm in. I remember it started for me when I was 15 years old. I remember this very clearly. Uh, the president of the United States at the time uh, came to my hometown in Joplin, uh, Missouri, uh, to give a speech. And to my knowledge, no sitting president had ever been to my hometown. There's no reason to. And I was trying to figure out why uh, he came through. I, I wonder if it was maybe because there was a cancellation in another important city somewhere. And so he just came to our hometown as kind of a consolation sort of a thing. But I remember about a week before he was going to be there, some very important people showed up at my school and they were looking for volunteers. And they said, uh, we're expecting capacity crowds at the college that he was going to speak at. And there was a field right across the street from the stadium. He was going to be delivering his speech and they were going to use that for parking. And they were looking for some uh, teenagers to show up early and direct traffic and park cars. And they said, if you volunteer for this afterwards, when the president gives a speech, you can actually sit on the platform behind him as he is delivering his talk. You might even end up on TV. And that was enough for me and my friends. We were like, man, we're doing it, right? And so we showed up at this meeting and they were kind of giving us all the specifics about when we needed to show up. It was before the sun came up and uh, where we needed to be. Uh, there was even a dress code, if you can believe that. They were like, you need to wear khaki pants and a button-up blue polo. 
I didn't have either one of those. And so my mom took me to JCPenney's just to get those. They didn't even give us like one of those yellow safety vests like we get nowadays. Um, I guess they didn't care. They just wanted us to look good. And uh, I remember the night before the president's speech, like I was so nervous, I couldn't sleep. It was like Christmas night. And I got up really early and I drove down to the uh, college and there was just this like palpable energy descending upon my hometown like I'd never experienced before. There were helicopters in the sky, there were snipers on the rooftops. There was thousands and thousands of people all around. It felt like I was a part of something so much bigger than myself. And then after we got done parking cars, we, we got to take our place on the stage behind the president. And I remember sitting there very vividly thinking to myself, I mean, he's just a few feet away and I'm sitting there thinking, how in the world did I get here? How in the world did I get on this platform? And I'm just wondering if any of you have ever had an experience, maybe not exactly like that, but kind of like that. Maybe it was the day that you uh, pulled away from the hospital after bringing a child into the world. You're like, how in the world did I get qualified to take care of one of these? I, I can't even really take care of myself. Maybe it was the day that you showed up at the, the job of your dreams and you're like, am I really ready for this? Maybe it was the day you walked an aisle. Maybe it was the day you signed the contract. I don't know. Have you ever felt in over your head and you're like, I don't really know that I deserve this platform? If so, then you can at least begin to relate to the shepherds in the story of the birth of the Messiah. I want to pick this up in Luke chapter 2. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, please go ahead and turn there. Follow along with me. Uh, if not, totally okay. I'm going to put this up on the monitor beside me so you can follow along. See, the first seven verses of Luke, he's already told us about the main event, the birth of Jesus. And now I, I want to pick it up on what we oftentimes, at least this is true for me, I, I sort of kind of trail off after that. Because I mean, Jesus' birth is the big deal, right? But, but Luke's got more to tell us. And he says in verse eight, that night, referring to the night that Jesus was born, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby. So they were local, they were close by, guarding their flocks of sheep. Now, I don't know about you, I have never questioned that. I, I've never thought, well, Luke, why would you turn that corner? Why would you go from the main event and then all of a sudden tell us about a group of shepherds that are watching over their sheep nearby? I mean, this is just like, yeah, shepherds are part of the Christmas story. Never really questioned it. In fact, um, uh, every Christmas pageant that my parents forced me to be a part of seems like I was a shepherd because that was about the only part that they thought I was really good at. I always wanted to be Joseph. They had never let me be Joseph. But they were like, hey, Aaron, can you stand there in your dad's oversized bathrobe with a staff made out of cardboard? And can you glue cotton balls to your face, look like a beard? Can you do that, Aaron? I think so. Okay, you got the role of shepherd. All right, just stay over there. Don't say anything. All right, you're qualified. And that, I, and that was what I, I always, that was always the role that I had. And I never really questioned it. Just they were in the story. But what I want us to look at is that, that shepherds would have been the last kind of people or group of people that you would ever think would hear about the birth of the Messiah. They were the first ones. Like you would think that they would be the last ones, that they would be on down the line because they had no platform they had no power, they had no position, they had no voice really in society. In fact, in the first century for a group of people to say, hey, who are the very first people that heard about the birth of the Messiah? Oh, the shepherds, that might've been enough to discredit the whole story. So why does Luke tell us? Well, I'm not really sure what comes to your mind when you think about a shepherd. I realize it's not necessarily a sought after occupation nowadays, 
So I don't really know what you think about, but for the longest time, uh, I always thought that shepherds looked something like this. <laughs> Gandalf from Lord of the Rings. And he just looked so sophisticated and so power. I guarantee you that's not made out of cardboard. And, and his beard is just epic. And you're just like, you see that figure and you're like, man, I don't want to mess with that guy. And, and I, I can tell you this, that um, if that's your image of a shepherd, then uh, it's way off. Because for starters, most shepherds wouldn't have been old men. They would have been young boys. Many of them would have been young nomads, orphans, because they would have been abandoned or maybe even sold by their families to pay off family debt. They were forgotten in society. In fact, um, there was this philosopher in Alexandria, which was kind of the center of the intellectual world at the time, had this to say about shepherds. There is no more disreputable an occupation than that of a shepherd. They were the lowest of the low. Now, I don't want to like overstate this. I'm not, because here's the deal. Like shepherd, the idea of a shepherd has certainly been redeemed throughout scripture. Um, the, the, if you've been in church for a while, maybe you've heard the term shepherding. You know, this is like the idea of maybe somebody's watching over you, mentoring you, caring for you. God himself refers to himself as a uppercase S shepherd in Psalm 23. You see, that's what God does. God takes lowly images and redeems them. What I want you to know is that before the Bible redeems the idea of a shepherd, they weren't really looked very highly upon. They were forgotten at best. And look what it says in verse nine. Luke tells us that suddenly, so this is like, it's, it's a surprise, like it happens all at once. An angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. So get the image, it's late at night, it's dark, and they're out watching their sheep, doing whatever they're doing to pass the time, playing cards, doing whatever. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up. Now, once again, I don't know what you envision in your mind's eye when you think about an angel. Wings, halos, white robes, maybe those precious moments, figurines, I don't know. But I can almost guarantee you that's wrong too because uh, angels were most often described as intimidating warriors. In fact, there's this guy named Daniel in the Old Testament. He has an encounter with an angel. Listen to his description of the angel. I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem and his face flashed like lightning. His eyes flamed like torches, his arms and feet shone like polished bronze and his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. I don't know, sounds like somebody you'd find in the WWE. But this is the description of an angel. So could you just imagine being a bunch of shepherd boys, no family, out in an open field, middle of the night, doing whatever they're doing, and all of a sudden, an angel shows up and it says that the light of the glory of God surrounded them and you know there would have been a loud boom that came along with it. It's this idea, uh, like have you ever, um, have you ever gone to a, a matinee movie in an actual movie theater? Remember those? Like way back when we used to do that in 2019. And you go to a movie in the afternoon, but if you forget you're, it's in the afternoon, because most of the time you go to a movie in the evening. And, and this has happened for me, especially in the summer. And you're in a dark, dark theater and you get done. And then you, uh, in, in one of those theaters where you automatically exit out into the parking lot and it's, it's the middle of the afternoon and the sun is shining and you walk outside, it is painful. 
Like the light just blinds you. You can't even open your eyes. Now take that times a million. You ever um, get up really, really early in the morning before the sun comes up? You're not awake. You haven't had your coffee yet. You're on your way to an appointment or whatever you got to go to. And you forgot that the night before you were jamming out to Taylor Swift, the highest volume level ever. And you get in the car and you start it and it's like, boom, scares you to death. Take that times a million. And so this angel shows up with a blinding light and a deafening sound, which explains the shepherd's response. Check it out. They were terrified. I bet. I bet you one of them peed himself. I, I just, I, I, I bet you he did. And they're standing there. They're like scared to death that maybe they're, maybe, maybe they're thinking like I'm in the dark, like nobody's seeing what I'm doing. You hide things in the dark. And all of a sudden it's like, boom, there's this light that comes around you. But I love the angel's response. This warrior angel says these words, reassured them, don't be afraid. And I love that. It's like, hey, listen, I'm not here to shame you. I'm not here to expose you. I'm not here to intimidate you. In fact, I'm here to share with you a bit of information. It's going to totally change your life. And the angel goes on and says, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to who? To all people. He didn't say, hey, I, I, I'm bringing good news that will bring great joy to the religious people. Bringing, bringing good news that will bring you great joy to the rich people, to the people that have it all together. No, to, to all the Christmas story is for everyone, that this is good news for everyone, regardless of who you are, where you've been, what you currently believe, what you, maybe some of the false narratives that you believe about yourself. Hey, I got good news, even for you forgotten shepherd boys out in this field, anyone who's ever felt unworthy, unqualified, or unloved. Verse 11, the Savior, yes, the Messiah that's been promised all these years. The Lord has been born today. In Bethlehem, hey guys, not far from where you're at, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And here's this word again, verse 13. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest heaven, peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Right then, lights out, volume turned all the way back down. They're gone. And it's just the shepherds with their sheep. Verse 15, when the angel had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Now, this is just for free. This has no meaningful value to the message whatsoever. I'd just like to tell you, like when I'm reading through scripture, I oftentimes try to imagine like what they would have sounded like when they say things. And for whatever reason, just as I was studying this this last week, I thought to myself, you know what? I'd like to say that they said this in a surfer's kind of accent. You know, the turtle from Finding Nemo, like, oh, let's go to Bethlehem, right? Let's See this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Why not? They got nothing better to do. They're just a bunch of shepherd boys. Like, hey, we're, we're kind of tired of watching the sheep anyway. It's not far away. It's just right over there. Like the angel told us, let's go check it out for ourselves. And so verse 16, they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was a baby lying in the manger, just like the angel said. 
And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened. Don't miss that. They go from being receivers of the message to now contributors of the message. They become the mouthpiece of God. They told everyone what had happened, what the angel said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and she thought about them often. I've often wondered what Mary really thought in that moment. And I would imagine, I mean, especially for those of you uh, ladies who have given birth to children, I, I would imagine that, that in the delivery room, that's a really magical moment where you're just kind of treasuring all these things in, in your heart. I bet you Mary was doing that too. But I also wonder, as it says this after the shepherds arrived, I wonder if Mary's looking around, she sees Joe. She sees the farm animals. She sees the star. She looks at Jesus in the manger. And then she pans over and sees a group of shepherd boys. Joe, who are they? Why are they in the delivery room? Like, what did you, are they your nephews? Somebody that I didn't know about? Like, why, like, why are they here? Like, I, I wonder if Mary had that thought. And in verse 20, it says, the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. You see, this whole experience fundamentally changed these guys. Now, here's the question that I have. Why are they in the story? They don't have a platform. They don't have any political clout. They don't have any power. They were not social media influencers. Why does the angel go to them? I would imagine that there was more important people that the angel could have gone to first to tell about the birth of a Messiah. I would imagine there were more effective communicators of this that the angel could have told to get the message out there much more effectively. But these are just a group of forgotten shepherd boys. They're sort of like on the low end of the totem pole in society. Why are they in the story? Why are they the first to be told? And here's Here's what I'd like to suggest. I think the reason why is because God's sending a message to anyone and everyone who's ever felt like they don't have a voice. To anyone and everyone who's ever felt like they're unworthy. To anyone and everyone who doesn't feel like they have a platform, who doesn't think that anybody cares about them. To anyone and everyone who feels like they've messed up too many times for God to use in any significant way, which by the way, everything I just said should include all of us, regardless of what you've accomplished in this lifetime. God is sending a message that there is no such thing as unworthy people. God is sending a message that he sent Jesus for anyone and everyone. And here's the deal. When the light comes on in somebody's life, it changes whoever that person might be for good. And that is the message of the Christmas story. You know, by far, one of my favorite Christmas traditions is the lights. Like hands down more than anything else, I, I love the lights of Christmas. I love driving through neighborhoods. I love seeing how people decorate their houses. I love lights on buildings and on trees. In fact, um, one of our staff members, um, Eric Penley, uh, every year he goes all out. And uh, this is his house. This picture really doesn't do it justice. He actually sent me a video along with this and it's, it's so busy. Like there's just lights flashing everywhere. And uh, his electric bill, I think uh, triples in December. Uh, Eric uh, told me that he spends uh, over 40 hours every year hanging up these lights. There's over 10,000 bulbs 
Uh, it's it's uh, moving. It's set to music. Uh, I, I drove uh, my girls over there the other night uh, to take a look at this. I just about had an epileptic seizure. All right. It's uh, my, my dog won't even look at me anymore. Scared him to death. All right. Um, but Eric has a uh, every year he does this and he will pick one word as a theme and he you can't see it in the picture, but he'll shine it against the house. And this year, the one word theme is hope. And I asked him about it and he said, well, it's because we've had a year like 2020. He's like, more people are looking for hope than ever before. And I said, Eric, why do you do this? Because those of you who know Eric, you know, like he's a pretty eccentric personality. I mean, everybody loves Eric. He's great. And so it doesn't surprise you that that's his house. Pray, please pray for his wife. <laughs> but he doesn't do it to get attention. I asked Eric, I said, why do you, why do, you do this? And he said, well, because uh, I see the looks of happiness on uh, adults and kids faces who see this every year. But he said also, he said, this has started more conversations with people than ever before as to why I do this. And I always talk to them about the light of Jesus that comes into a dark, dark world. You see, the, 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 the tradition of Christmas lights started back in the 17th century. Did you know this? Started in Germany where they would light candles and then somehow they would figure out how to hang them in trees. Sounds real safe. There were a lot of fires that year. And then ever since then, it's just sort of developed into this tradition. So when you drive through the neighborhoods and when you see the lights on the trees and the buildings, it isn't just pretty decorations. This has come out of a rich tradition of Jesus, the light of the world. And when he brings the light, it can't help but illuminate into life after life after life. It all started with those shepherds. In fact, the prophet Isaiah says this, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You know, the world has always been dark, but I can't think of a darker year in my lifetime than the one we're currently living. And I would imagine that many of you feel the same. And there's a lot about that that is discouraging. There's a lot about that that is frustrating. We're all emotionally exhausted. And yet I want you to know that it's when things are at their darkest, when the light shines the brightest. Isn't that true? Like you really wanna see the beauty of a candle. You don't go outside in the middle of a sunny afternoon and light a candle. You wanna see the beauty of a candle, go into a pitch black room and light that candle and you're gonna appreciate the light all the more. And so going back to Eric's theme of hope, I can't help but be hopeful that God's up to something big because historically, when things are at their darkest, that's when the light of God is about to shine the brightest. In fact, did you, uh, did you hear about the Bethlehem star that popped up a couple nights ago? Did you see this on the news? Like apparently Jupiter and Saturn, they got the closest that they've been in over 400 years, creating what looks like just a really, really bright star in the sky. We haven't seen it for 400 years. I was super excited about it. I couldn't wait to see it. That Monday afternoon, it was clear, blue, sunny skies. I was like, man, I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna grab my family. We're gonna get in the truck. We're gonna try to get a good view of, 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 the, of the sunset. And then we'll look at the Bethlehem star. And it was overcast on Monday. That is so 2020. Um, so I didn't get to see it personally, uh, but I saw pictures and I just, 
I don't, I don't mean to like speculate this, but I just kind of wonder. 400 years, we haven't seen this star. God chooses 2020 to show it to us again. See, I want you to know that when Jesus was born, he brought a light into a really, really dark world. That's why the angel calls it good news. In fact, I wanna just make this observation that when Jesus was born, there was a blazing star in the middle of the night that just illuminated the darkness. 33 years later, when he hung on a cross, there was an eclipse in the middle of the day. Isn't that ironic? And the reason why is because Jesus is literally the light of the world. And today he is offering hope. He is speaking purpose into the lives of all people. And today I'm just wondering if you might be willing to take him up on his offer. I realize that there may be a number of people that are like, well, I don't know that this is for me for any number of reasons. Maybe you had a bad church experience in your past. Maybe you don't see yourself as religious. Maybe you've got some questions. How does God and science kind of reconcile all the stuff? Those are all really, really good questions, some stuff that we can unpack later. I, I just want to ask you just simply this. Would you be willing to just receive the light of Jesus Christ? Would you just be willing to just kind of throw your hands up and say, God, I, I, I'm sort of at the end of my rope. I'm on my last leg. I'm emotionally exhausted right now. I need some light in the darkness. I just want to look right into the camera. I know I'm speaking to somebody, whether it's somebody physically in the room or somebody online in a living room or a kitchen or a car somewhere. And I want you to know that you are not forgotten and that you are more loved than you could possibly imagine. And that there is a God who had you in mind when he sent his son to bring a light into the darkness. And it is not too late and the darkness never has the final say. Jesus has come to be a light and to bring a light when the world was at its darkest. And today might be the day when you turn a corner and you begin to realize that he will give you purpose when you're looking for purpose. He'll give you peace when the world is chaotic. He'll give you hope when you feel hopeless. It's what he does, it's what he's always done. And it's what he's offering to you today. Father, we come to you right now and I thank you for the story of Christmas. Thank you so much that it is not boring, even though at times maybe we make it mundane. God, thank you that it's so unusual to get our attention to show us that you care about every single person. That the birth of a Messiah was for all people. And if this is blazingly clear when we look at the very first people that you told, a group of forgotten shepherd boys. And so God, may we remember that you have not forgotten us, that you have a purpose and a plan for every single individual in this room. We thank you for the message of Christmas. We thank you for the hope that you bring. We thank you for the light that shines the brightest in the darkest, in the darkness. God, as we bring a horrendous year to a close and as we go into 21, God, I pray that hope would rise. I pray that, that you would renew our strength as we've been waiting on you that you would give us strength reserves we didn't even know we had because you're a good, good father. 
and we are in desperate need of your love, your guidance, and your peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.